few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. We started a new sermon series last week called What to Expect When You're Expecting. And uh, we played on words, obviously. We're not talking about having a baby, uh, but we are talking about starting a campus. And so I told you guys, because I said, this is a good time for us to kind of evaluate and get, get prepared. It's just like having a kid. If you're going to have a kid, you go to birthing classes after you, you, know, you pee on the stick, figure out you're pregnant, go to the doctor, do the all that stuff, tell you a baby's coming. You know, uh, if God has a sense of humor with you, he sends you two, right? Like gives you two at once. That happened to Pastor Jordan a few years ago. He said, hey, there's two, not one heartbeat. There's two heartbeats. I was like, awesome, man. I can't wait to be a part of that and glad they're going to sleep at your house and not not mine. And so uh, twi- twins, triplets, whatever, you have those. And, and then you, you start to make preparations. You, get, you, get, you go to the doctor, you figure out where you're going to have it, you get bags packed, all those things. And so I thought, listen, we are about five weeks away. So we are, we are coming to the very end. We got our inspection on, on Friday. Here, here's a miracle for you. First time in the history of our church that we had a, a final inspection that passed on the first try. Like we should give it like that right there. When an inspector comes through and finds nothing wrong with your place, God blinded him, right? Like God did a work because they always find something. So the first time in the history of our church that we are now uh, going to get our occupancy permit before we actually start meeting in there, which is incredible. And so, uh, and so then we have a few more things to do, uh, try out some technology, go through some run-throughs. First week in April, we are shooting to open up. We'll be one church meeting in five locations. Some of you have been here before when we've done it, uh, but I want to get the new people prepared. I want you to understand the heart behind it, that we are not in the business of growing a big church, that we are in the business of changing cities. There's a difference, that we're not building big church buildings and trying to attract a crowd. We're trying to build a church. A crowd can be loud but not be effective at all. A church always changes the world. And so we are starting a new church in Montgomeryville. So last week I said, let me make sure you understand that God is pro-life, that he is for the reproduction of, of his church, that he wants to reach people far. This isn't optional, that he has called us and equipped us to do this. So what I did is I gave you the talk, the, the church reproduction talk, and I used the talk that I gave to my kids, the sex talk, as an illustration for, for the church talk. So if you missed it last week, uh, you can check it out. The next few weeks, I want to talk to you about the responsibilities. How many of you know when you have a baby, they give you a baby and they say, good luck? It's your responsibility. Like, you don't take it back to the hospital and say, help. Like, do something. I can't figure it out. They say, you figure it out. This is your responsibility. So I'm going to talk to you about the responsibilities that God has given us to, to whom much is given, much is required, that the Bible says. So we have a responsibility. We're going to take a look at a few of those. Today, the title of my message is Restrictions to, to Reproduction. So, so if you do what I talked about doing last week in marriage, by the way, you're supposed to be married if you're doing this, right? If you're doing that with your significant other, you're married, committed, you're, you're, you're being intimate, if everything is working right, it's the time of the month where you can make a baby and you do that, a baby will be made. Every once in a while, there's problems. There, there's what I would call restrictions. There's, there's physical ailments. And what happens in those situations physically is when that happens, you go to the doctor and you say, hey, we're having a hard time. We're doing the, the action uh, but it's not working. Can you help us out? Can you tell us what's going on? And the doctor will do some x-rays, some tests, and maybe figure out, here's some restrictions. Here's some things that are keeping you from getting pregnant. Here's some things to change. Every once in a while, we know that in this broken world that, that people, some couples get together and they just can't 
have babies, and so then they go different options, and the options are you can adopt, which, by the way, is one of the most biblically beautiful things in the world. It actually is the message of the family of God. He tells us in the Bible that you are adopted into the family. You know why I love that word? Because I have three kids. I didn't get an option on them. They, they were there. Like, they came out. It was like, this is yours. Good luck, right? Adoption, the parents pick. So when God says that you're adopted into the family of God, what he's telling us is, I'm not stuck with you. I actually picked you. I'm not stuck with you. you, I, you all your warts, all your crying, all your, you know, blowouts, everything you do that messes up life, I actually picked to be a part of your life. That's why it says the word adoption. So adoption is a beautiful thing, but here's the thing. Spiritually, it's not that good of a thing. Because what's happened in churches is instead of reproducing and reaching people not yet here and, and sharing the message and being a church that's pro-life, oftentimes what churches in America do and a big portion of their growth is not from reaching new people. It's what they do is they just adopt from other churches. They just switch people back and forth and people go to this church for a while, then they end up at this church for a while. And I got to tell you something. If you've come from another church and this is now your church or you've come today from another church and you were mad about something, you decided to come try out another church, chances are you're going to leave this church angry in a couple months, or maybe by the end of this sermon, if I preach good enough for you. And so, but like, if you come because you're angry, I need you to understand something. We are not in the business of reaching church people. Like, like I, I will tell you often, if you come to Welcome Church, I'll say, listen, you are not a win to us. We're going to hold you like this. And if you come angry, you're probably going to leave angry. You're welcome here, but you're not allowed to come here and say, what are you going to do for me? We're going to do nothing for you. You're, you're already saved. We're going to do everything for this lost world. And so we are on a mission to reach people that are not, not yet here. And that is, that is reproduction. That is multiplication. We're not starting a church in Montgomeryville because we evaluated the area and said there's no cool churches in that area. And so we're going to be the coolest church in Montgomeryville so that everybody that already goes to church comes to our church. No, no, no. We're starting a church in the middle of an area where we know there's a lot of lost people and there's a dark area and we want to be a light and a hospital to those people. We want to reach lost people. We want to re reproduce. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you today about what I would call restrictions to reproduction. There's areas in our lives that if we gave ourselves a test and went under a scan, that oftentimes I think that God would say, here's why you're not reaching more, more people. And so I thought of thinking about my life and wanted to make this practical with you, but I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where, where you were trying to do something and accomplish something, but it simply wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Let me, let me give you an example. I have in my kitchen, I have that genius invention in my kitchen where my, where my uh, garbage can is hidden behind a cabinet. Anybody else have one of those? It's amazing. Like my first house, my garbage can sat out. My next house, my garbage can sat in my, in my cupboard. My third house, my garbage can is in one of my, my cabinets. And so it slides out. There's two little things. You throw the trash away. You, you slide it in. It's a beautiful way to hide your, your trash. And so the reason I, I love it is because that I also have a hate relationship with it because let's be honest, I have three little boys and, and when you put those, those expensive of little pieces of hardware on your cabinet. Nobody uses those, so they never touch uh, the, ca the, the, the actual hardware. They just touch the door, and we made a mistake of painting our cabinets white because we want to be like Chip and Joanna Gaines, and so we painted them white, and so they just constantly touch them with their hands, and when you're taking trash out, it means your hands are usually dirty, so there's always dirt all over the place and trash all over the place, and then eventually it starts to smell, and so, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I'm also, I have the type of personality where at the end of the night, everything needs to be closed up and put away. Anybody else like that? Like, the Bible says not to let the sun go down while you're angry. Those type of things make me angry the next day. And so what I do is I spend the last 15 minutes of my night and I wipe off, off cabinets and I close doors and I pick up dishes and do all that stuff until the other night, a few weeks ago, I came into my kitchen. My boys had just went to bed, kissed them goodnight, told them I loved them, you know, and all that stuff. 
came downstairs, put some things away, came to the trash can. It was kind of open. I'm like, no, that's not okay. So I tried to close it. And when I pushed it closed like this, I'm not lying to you, it just came back open. So I looked at it, I was like, what? So I pushed it closed again, and it came back open. So then this time I pushed it a little bit more aggressively, and the thing just kept popping out a couple, three or four. I'm like, this can't work. I don't know if you remember the, the three stooges at that point. I'm like, whoa, 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 right? Like I'm, I'm like doing this stuff at it, and like I'm, I'm getting mad. And so finally I'm like, I'm like pacing back and forth like this, and I, I kind of kick it, and my wife's like, what are you doing? Nothing, woman, right? I look at it, I step back, I kind of evaluate what's going on, I come back at it, real aggressively close it, opens back up, finally I'm like, what is wrong? Then I start to blame, right? You ever do this in your house? I'm like, which one of my kids broke my garbage can? And that's how everything is prolongated and like your, your vowel, every, your syllable super long, broke my garbage can, I'm doing that. They're in bed, I'm like, boys, you know, like all this stuff's going on and she comes out, she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, somebody broke this, it won't close, they're always breaking everything, you know, should have stopped the two kids and we have three now. And in my house, no matter what happens, they're just going to say, I didn't do it. You ever been there with your kids? You're like, somebody did it, right? So I'm closing it. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not saying closing. I'm like, I got to figure this out. So I get tools. I'm like, they probably broke the, the, the track is on, all that stuff. So I pull it out. And as I'm pulling them, I said, have you looked behind it? And I said, that would make sense for a logical person, but I'm way past logic. I've done the woo-woo-woo and all that stuff. Like, I'm just, I'm about to just rip this whole cabinet door off right now. So I pulled the, 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 the trash out, one, two, and I looked behind it. And somehow behind it was a, a garbage sack filled with McDonald's. Yes, that's a whole nother story. We took our kids to McDonald's that night. That was probably God repaying me. But I, I, listen, I got to be honest. I enjoy McDonald's. I think when people say it's not healthy for you, I think that's fake news. And so like, like I like McDonald's tastes good. And so we went to McDonald's and, and they ate and they, and so somehow what happens is in my house, they don't take the trash out when it's full. They just keep shoving it down. How much can we fit? And so they shoved it so far down that when they close it, the top, the top thing, which was the, the McDonald's, kind of got stuck and went behind it. And so then no matter how much I tried to, to close it, it just popped it back out. So very calmly and Christ-likely, I reached down, I grabbed it, I took the trash out. And you know what happened when I came back? I went, hmm. And in my spirit, God was like, yeah, you're an idiot. You just, no matter how hard you would have worked, like that was restricting you from closing it. And I, and I think that, that as a church, that I want to make sure we understand, like we can have the mission statement, we exist for those not yet here, and we, we can do the preaching and all that stuff, but I want to make sure that we are aware of, of why sometimes churches don't reach lost people, of why we don't reproduce, of why new people aren't coming and experience life in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, it most of the time has nothing to do with, 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 with the message. has nothing to do with the way you do church. has nothing. I mean, those things are all, all good. Oftentimes, it has to do with the culture of the people, me and you. That, that, that is the determining factor. Like when they say like churches in America are closing, it's not the building's fault. It's not just the pastor's fault. It, it, it's not the message's fault. It's actually the culture of, of the church. We are often the ones together that are restricting the reproduction, the rebirth of people that are far from Christ. So what I want to do is I want to give you three things, and they're all going to kind of play off each other. Three areas of our lives where I think if we're not careful, it'll keep us from, from being a church that reproduces. And that's what we're in the business of doing. We are in the business of seeking and saving uh, the lost. And so we're going to go to a story in the book of Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you're not a church person, Jesus often talked in, in parables and stories. And so he was a, a master communicator. 
Uh, we can learn a lot. If you are a communicator, you can learn a lot from him. And so he would often answer a question with, with a story. He wouldn't just answer the, the question. And so this religious guy came to Jesus, which, by the way, uh, if you're not a religious person, and you probably say, like, I wouldn't like Jesus because he was religious, he actually, listen, the religious people actually hated Jesus. Those were the ones who argued with him the most, which I, I find ironic because I think to myself, oftentimes in most churches in America, Jesus would want no part of it. And so I feel good when I'm like, yeah, I can't stand church people, and I read the Bible, and I was like, Jesus couldn't either. Like, like I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be, to, to be doing and kind of on the spot that I'm supposed to, to be at. But Luke chapter 10, this religious man comes and says, what am I supposed to do to inherit eternal life? Like, what kind of person am I supposed to, to be? Like, like, he's trying to kind of have an argument with Jesus. And in the book of Luke chapter 10, verse number 29, Jesus, Jesus gets in a conversation with him. He says, but the man wanted to justify himself. He tells him about his neighbor. He says, but the man wanted to justify himself. So he asks, who's my neighbor? Like, who, 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 you ever been there with God? Bring that down. Like, in, in a religious uh, institution, this is often the question we lead with. How many times I got to come to church? How many classes my kids got to go to to get confirmed? Whatever that means. Like, do I, got, do I have to come to marriage class to get married by you? Do I, do I how, much, how much money do I have to give? How many times am I expected to show up so that I can make sure that you bury me in a, in a, in a gravestone or a gravesite close to the church? Because that means I'll probably get to heaven as long as I'm close to the church. Like, what do I got to do to do what you're telling me to do? How much do I have to do? This is, this is religion. If you are constantly wondering if you've done enough for, for God, then you don't have a relationship with Jesus because the Bible says Jesus said it is finished. You're not working to get to God. Jesus did the work to get to you. You're living a life of freedom, grace, and, and forgiveness, ultimately, which makes you trust God because you know how much he loves you, ultimately makes you obey him and give him your entire life. That, that's how it works in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In religion, it's always how much do I, do I have to do? He says this, in reply, Jesus said, let me, let me tell you a story. Uh, the man was going down from Jericho to Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They showed, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Uh, so too a Levite, which by the way is just a, a deacon, an elder, somebody who takes care of the church grounds. So the pastor comes by, it's like he's telling a joke, a pastor, a rabbi, and a priest, right? Like he, he's like, a priest comes by. You can take that down for one second. And in the story, the thing is, whew, good. Like surely this guy will help him. The Bible says he passes down the other side. Uh, a Levite, a guy who takes care of the church, comes by, passes by on the other side. Watch what the Bible says if you keep going. But a Samaritan. Now, in the story, this is the one guy nobody expects to do anything because they all assume this dude is not a good guy. But, but a Samaritan, the Bible says, traveled. When he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on, on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any HBO movies that he rents and any room service that he would like. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus says. And the religious man is fully aware. What does he say? He says, the one who had mercy on him. He says, go and do Likewise, and what I see in this story is oftentimes a reflection because the religious people are, are just a reflection of the institution of, of church. And what I see is, is a lot of similarities between the church and, and these men that Jesus was talking about. So let me just give you a couple of things that I think oftentimes get in the way of us reproducing, of us, of us reaching people that are not yet here. So, so number one is this. Can I, just, can I just tell you that it really starts with what I would call the church's lack of energy? 
We have a complete lack of, of, of energy. We only have a certain amount of time. You ever notice that? And we seem to always be busy and give a lot of our time to things that don't matter. Pastor Jordan talked about this a few weeks ago. Like we invest a whole lot of our time that when we get to heaven, God is going to be completely unimpressed with. And it feels like because we're so busy, especially in the church, that we have a, 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 real, a real distinct lack of energy when it comes to reaching lost people, when it comes to invitation, when it comes to building a church where people that aren't yet at church would actually feel welcomed and understand what's going on. We have what I would call a lack of energy. Here's what I know. Oftentimes, uh, we have so much activity in the church that we confuse activity with accomplishment. There's just so many things go going on that we have too many events and programs that absolutely lead to what I would call nowhere. They, they lead, th think about it. Think about all the things we do in church that if you, if you were to say to yourself, does this equal what Jesus called us to be as a church? We're going, well, I don't know. But that chili cook-off was I mean, off the hook. My mom's group, amazing. Like I picked up some new oils. My kid's been healthy. Like, amazing, right? Like, like I, I went to this home group, and I learned the Greek word for, for friend, and now I got a tattoo on my arm. Nobody, can, nobody knows what it says, but, man, been a life-changing experience for me. Like, think about how many things we do in church that if you were to evaluate, is it seeking and saving the lost? Really, it's not. And then when it's time to actually do the work to seek and save the lost, what happens? We don't have any energy. And, and you see this in this story. Now, we won't understand this because we are not from this time. And so when Jesus says they're traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, for us, it's like, it's like, it's like another language. We don't fully understand it. So I would compare it to this. It would be like me going to Oklahoma City because that's where I lived before and trying to explain to them that the number five or six or seven biggest city in the country that has millions of people coming in and out of it every day, that the main road to get in there is two lanes on each side. Like, if you go to Oklahoma City, because the, the, the infrastructure was built before the city there. So what they did is they said, we're going to build for the future. In Philadelphia, the city showed up with horses and stuff like that, and they said, oh, crap, let's bomb some mountains so we can make some roads so that these things that burn gas and diesel can get in here. And so now we're landlocked, and there's really nothing else to do. But when I try to explain that to my friend, as he's pulling into Oklahoma City, on all four sides of Oklahoma City is four-lane highways. Like, there is never traffic. Traffic to them is when you're going 65 miles an hour. That's called heaven in Pennsylvania. Like, if you drive to, to Philadelphia, and it takes, and you get to go 65 miles the whole way, that is a 30-minute trip, right? But oftentimes, to get to Philadelphia, it takes two days. You might as well take a horse and buggy and get there, right? Like, I'm pretty sure our founding fathers would have taken horses into Philly instead of four Broncos, right, or whatever that it is. Like, like I think that, that they can't understand it, but for me, I want to tell them, like, well, you don't understand, because here's why, because the city's already there, and there's lots of people living there, and there's really nothing else they can do, and they try to do a bypass, but for me, it feels like I'm, I'm cheating myself by getting on I-476, because I'm going around the whole city, and I look at my GPS, and I'm like, this is a waste of time. No, I'm going, it's, it's about principle. I'm going down I-76, and they talked about making a double-decker, but who wants to be a part of that construction? and so this is where we sit like this this is what happens and they won't fully understand it and so here's the thing when you hear jesus talk ge geogra geographically about this road and about this infrastructure like for us we're going what's the big deal these guys are coming from jerusalem to jericho but if the listeners would have understood and i want to explain it to you they're the priest and the and the levite were coming from jericho he implies so maybe they lived in jericho but here's the thing but church was in jerusalem 
And, and when he says coming from uh, Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho, he's talking about how it went downhill. So here's the thing. To get to church in that time from Jericho, you had to go uphill. But here's what's amazing. It was an 18-mile journey. Some of you about to get real convicted because you don't even want to drive 18 miles to church, right? Like some of you are at home right now watching because it's raining at home. And you're like, I didn't want to come out. My bed was so comfortable. And these guys, listen, to get to church to worship Jesus, to worship God at that point, not Jesus, they went 18 miles uphill. And they did the religious dude, made their sacrifices, took care of the cleaning, you know, did, did, did the, the religious services. And so here they come back down the mountain, eight, by the way, 18 miles back. So that's a 36-mile round trip. This one's downhill, but it's not much better on your knees. You're just walking the whole, I don't know if you ever did that. And they're trying to get back, and it's desert-like conditions, and they're out of breath because they're older men, because they're priests and Levites. And so you couldn't be a priest or Levite until you got a little older. And so they're, 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 they're a little bit out of shape, and they're out of breath, and they're out of energy, and they see this guy on the side of the road, and he's kind of in their way, and they're like, no, I don't got enough energy to help him. Why don't you got enough energy? Because I just traveled 18 miles to church, and I did all of my religious activities, and so I don't have time to stop at this guy. By the way, you ever been there? You come to church, 1030 service at all of our campuses. You put in your hour and a half because pastor preach a little too long. It's almost 12 o'clock. It's time to beat the rush to, to Red Robin to get all you can eat French fries. And when you pull out of the parking lot about a half a mile down, somebody's broken down on the side of the road with their four ways on. You're like, uh-uh. What am I going to do anyways? I ain't helping them. And here's the thing. If I do stop to help them, you know, I'm going to have to wait for like 30 minutes to get a burger at Red Robin. And I got a hungry six-year-old in the back of the car, and he'll go crazy. And so, God, we're just going to keep going. Somebody else is going to come help them. This is their attitude. They don't have no energy. Their energy was given to the worship of their God. And so then when it was time for them to actually put it into practice, there was nothing to give. And I, I started thinking about how many things we do in church that suck the energy out of what we do so that when it's actually time to do the work, when it's actually time to share the message, when it's actually time to be the church, we don't have any time left between our events, between our activities, and we've, 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 we've confused that activity equals accomplishment. I'll give you an example that I was shocked about a few weeks ago. I took my kids to Winter Jam. Never been to Winter Jam. Don't go. And so, uh, but I took them to Winter Jam. It's like a little Christian concert, and I told them last year they saw advertisement, and, so, and I said, hey, next year we'll take you. It was on Valentine's Day. Like, well, I don't understand, so I had to tell my wife, like, hey, uh, sorry, we'll go out next Valentine's Day. I'm taking the boys to Winter Jam, and so cool with it. We've been married 17 years, and so so I took my boys, and we, my two other boys, and we went to Winter Jam. And, and it's a free concert. You just pay $15 at the door for donation. And so I thought to myself, that doesn't sound free. That sounds like a ticket. And so uh, maybe we start doing that at church. You can come for free, but leave $100 at the door before you come in. <laughs> and so we got to the Santana Arena, or wherever you say it. And so I don't know. I go to Key Bank, so I'm not sure what that, how you say that. But we got to the arena, and we parked our cars. It was about 5, 4, 4.35. You couldn't get in the doors until 6. Concert started at 7. So I saw for sure we will get a good spot in line, and we would get good seats and all this stuff. And so when we're getting there, I'm like, we have an hour and a half so they will even let us in. It's cold. It's kind of damp outside. I was like, let's go get something to eat. So we went to this little Mexican restaurant across from the, the, the arena. And as we were eating at this restaurant, I just can keep seeing, you know, the priests and the Levites walk by. Because there, there ain't no unsafe people coming to, to Winter Jam. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's church people. Like, church people coming. Church people want to see the news. Only 39-year-old you know, white kids want to see the newsboys, right? Like, that's, that's all I wanted to see, and I didn't even get to see them because our kids made me leave before they came up, and that's a whole nother story, right? I didn't even see the drums spin around. I didn't see nothing, right? 
And so, so I'm watching all these priests and Levites are like hurriedly getting in line, like running in line. They got their Christian gear on. Like you can point them out from a mile away. And I'm watching the line from the door just get longer and longer and longer. So at that point, I start to, to, get, to get outraged. I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And I'm like, eat your chalupa and your case. Shove it in your mouth. Put it in your pocket. Let's go. We're getting too far back in line. And at that point, I, I wasn't like super stressed, but I was like, this line's getting, getting kind of long. And so we get out and we go to the back of the line, which I thought was a few hundred yards long. And I'm like, this is kind of... It's kind of strange. People are waiting in line to get into this free Christian concert, but I guess we're going to do it. And so I go to get in the line, and I get to the back, and they say, this isn't the back of the line. And I said, where's the back of the line? I said, it starts in Boyertown. <laughs> they say, you need to walk. Just, you need to walk back from where you came, take a left at the corner of the building, then go to there, take another left at the corner, because those are the VIP people that are waiting and then have paid extra money so they can get in early, right, to meet the, meet the people. And, and take another left, take another left, and then at some point in Reading, the city of Reading, you will find the end of the line, which is about 1,000 miles away from the beginning of the line. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's an hour and a half before the doors even open, and it's cold outside. And as I'm standing there, I'm like, what are we doing I'm looking around at all these people. I'm like, why are we standing in line for a, a concert like this? Like, we, what are we doing? And then I started thinking to myself, and no, no, I don't want to judge you and like all this stuff and like and make you feel bad. But then I started thinking to myself, like, I wonder how many of these church people will show up early on Sunday. Like, ain't, ain't no way. If I called up and I said, hey, listen, today we don't have any heat, but it's cool. Wear your jacket. It's only gonna be an hour and a half. Come in and worship and sing. How many of y'all be like, I'm not bringing my kid there. It's way too cold. They're going to get the measles or something like that, and they're going to die. But people had their little, I'm talking little kids. I saw babies and carriers. People were waiting to get into, Christians are waiting to get into winter. I thought to myself, I wonder if they would just do that on Sunday, what the church would look like in the Reading area. I wonder if we would get up early enough to not be just at the end of the first song, but we would be there 25 or 30 minutes early. I wonder if we made the same effort that people made to get into that concert. In worship, I watch people clap and rejoice and lift their hands because their favorite famous worship leader, which is an oxymoron, by the way, led worship on their favorite radio station, K, you know, K-Love or whatever. I watch people raise their hand in a way that I, I've wondered, where, where is it at in church? I've, I watch people show up early. I watch the effort that they give. And I thought to myself, how many times do we give effort to things that don't matter? Nobody got saved there that night. Church wasn't built. Jesus wasn't made famous. What you had is a bubble with a bunch of Christians singing dorky Christian music. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Reading area around them was suffering. It's in poverty. There needs to be a famous, a church that, that is, that's making the name of famous in downtown Reading. There needs to be Christians who show up early and feed homeless and stay, stay late and give up what they have for things, people that, that they know God loves. Like, I wondered, where is that type of church? And here's why that we don't do that, because we spend all of our energy on things that don't matter. And we need to be extremely careful that we don't get to this point. Some of you have come to church and you've watched our announcements and you're like, where's all the, where's all the events? Like, where, where is the youth group and where is the mom's, mom's group and where is, you know, the chili cook-off you were talking about? Because that sounded good. You know, you're preaching a little long. It's 1121. Chili cook-off sounds good. And where, where is the, where's all the ministries and where, where's all the Bible studies and all that stuff? And I, I, I would just question and say, in the churches that are filled with all of those events and ministries, how many people are finding new life in Jesus Christ? Because, because if they're not, those ministries are a waste of time. We are all about producing here. We want to seek what Jesus tells us to do. He said, I came to do what? Seek and save 
the, the lost, that even when we come to church and God does something in us, that we ask him to do something in us so that he will continue to do something through us. It's the, the principle of the plane. You know what I'm talking about? When they say, hey, in case this plane crashes, which by the way, I think is an awful thing to even talk about before you take off. But in case it crashes, things are going to fall down. What are you going to do first? You're going to put the air on yourself. You're going to put the air on yourself so you can say, hallelujah, I'm going to be okay for the next 30 seconds before this thing crashes into the ground and I die. What do they say? Get the air on yourself and then help everybody around you. That's why Jesus fills us up. He says, I'm going to fill you up so that I can do something through you. We, we need to give some more energy. But can I just give you two more quickly? The reason I think we don't give enough energy, if we're truthful with ourselves when it comes to the world and lost people and people don't know you, I think we don't care. Like legitimately, like I think that for the, the American church, I think it doesn't really bother us. Like if I say, People around you don't know Christ. They don't, they're not in church today. Um, they, they haven't received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They haven't been baptized, haven't been filled with power so they can live victorious life. They have no way to get over their addiction, their bitterness, their hurt. You know, we're all medicated up because we're so miserable with our life and so hurt by people that have hurt us and destroyed by things that have been done to us. And I try to tell you that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the answer. And for most of us, I would say that our biggest problem is the reason we don't give energy to that is because if we're honest with ourselves, and I think we should be at church, is we're not really care. Like, let's, how many days have you woken up this week going, man, my friends, they're going to hell? Like, how many conversations do you have with your coworkers, and, and it goes from talking about the Sixers to, oh my gosh, this person doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ? How many times do you go to school and you just feel, feel that way? And I, I'm preaching to myself, like, I gotta be honest, the reason sometimes I have a lack of energy when it comes to this is because if I'm truthful with myself, it's because I don't care. I mean, what does the story say? The story says the priest comes down, and what, is, what does it say? It says he goes by on the other side, but that's Jesus just kind of explaining something that we would not understand because the road was not only was it going downhill, but it was windy like this, and it was narrow, and it was desert-like condition. So it wasn't like they were like 20 feet away from the guy and they missed him. Like if you actually study geography, the priest and the Levite probably went like this. They have dress on, so they had to go like this, right? Something's never changed about priests. And so they just, they just step over. Step, come on, that was a good joke. And so you step, they can make fun of my skinny jeans at the one day. Step over, step over the guy. Levite comes by, just got done, he's all tired. He goes, he goes, he steps over the guy. I mean, the truth is what Jesus is trying to say is not that they missed him, but they didn't care. I don't care if, I don't care if he's beaten, I don't care if he's bleeding, I don't care what he's done, I don't care, but I don't know this guy. I don't know what he's done. I don't know why he's beat up. He probably deserved it. You ever been there with the home? He probably deserved what he has. I'm not going to help him because if I help him, he's just going to drink anyways. And so I'm just going to step over him and I'm going to stand up for what I believe in the holiness of God, right? And you just step over him. And I think that the truth is that if we're honest with ourselves, with these guys and with our church, that the truth is they just struggle with what I would call apathy, which is just hate. We have a really apathetic spirit when it comes to lost people. And it's funny because if I asked you to put up with apathy for the rest of your week this week, you would come back to church extremely pissed off and say, I need, need you to preach on forgiveness today. I need you to preach on overlooking an offense because I have dealt with so much apathy. I mean, think, think about it. If you have kids and this week, usually you t t tell your kids what to do and they listen and you're you know, not telling them what to do to be a jerk, but you love them. And this week they said, you know what? I'm not listening to you anymore. You cool with that? There's not a parent here. Yeah, that's fine. You know what? I asked you to, to make your bed and pick up and, you know, clean the dishes. You don't want to. That's fine. And if you do parent like that, that is dumb, by the way. Like most of us that are normal go, no, you, you lit, you, I brought you into this world. 
I'll take you out of this, this world, right? Like that's, that's what it was. Like go to a restaurant this week. Let's say you leave here today and you're like, I need a steak. I'm not talking about like an outback steak. I'm talking like a steak steak. And you go and you order a ribeye medium well because that's where you're supposed to do it. And it comes out. And instead of them bringing you a meat, they bring you a vegan steak. The waiter's like, I just made a call. You look like you have heart disease. And so I went vegan. And here's the thing, and I cooked it well done because that's the only way you can cook ve- like vegetable stuff. And so I cooked it well done. It's fine. It's made of half cauliflower, half broccoli, and half an extra 20 years on life for you. And so we're going to give you th- this steak. How many of you be like, it's fine. I'm glad that, you know, I picked the regular steak, but you gave me vegan. It's fine. No, you'd be like, no, get your manager now. You, you wouldn't be okay with apathy, right? Let's just talk about going to the dry, go to the, ever go to the dry cleaners. Go up to the counter, give them your ticket. They're like, oh, I lost it. You're like, it's, like, you have, obviously, you have more than one coat because you've been living the last week with, 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 with this coat, and you have more. I can tell you have more than you need. This is totally fine. We're not even going to reimburse you. Apathy. How about your car? Next time you come out to your car, it's a big old dent, and instead of somebody leaving their information, they just left you a note that says, hey, at least no one got injured. <laughs> I mean, there's not anybody that's like, you know what? They have a point. Or let's just, maybe some of you get married, you order a wedding cake. And you wanted like a chocolate cake with vanilla icing with strawberries on top. And you get to the place and this is your day. Like this is the last time you're ever going to get married, hopefully. And this is a big deal. And you spent 700 hours on that cake, right? And, can you, and like it, it needs to be right. And you're getting married to Bob or, or John. And you get there and the cake is, 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 is chocolate uh, or whatever I just said. It's a reverse of that. And instead of having strawberries, it has blueberries on top. And instead of putting John, they put congratulations, Martha and Joe or something like that. And they're like, it's fine. It's just a what? Just a cake. And all of us in our spirit, it's not happening to us, but we would be like, no, 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 that wouldn't be cool. I would want my money back on my cake. I would go hunt down the person who hit my car. My kids would be getting whooping or grounded forever. The dry cleaner would be owing me, or I'll be putting them on YouTube as the worst, the worst dry cleaning service in the world. I'll get on Google, give them a bad review. I'm not okay with apathy. Here's the thing, though. We expect God to be okay with it. We expect God to be okay with us coming here, giving half-hearted worship, half-hearted service, half-hearted invitation, not worrying about the loss, not worrying about heaven or hell, not worrying about the opportunities that we have. And we come in here with an apathetic spirit, and God is not surprised by it because it says this in the last days. Check it out. In Matthew 24, it says, because of the increase of wickedness, watch what's going to happen. The love of most will grow cold. And here's the thing about it. Oftentimes, we read scripture, and we have outside eyes, and we go, man, let's talk about the world. Listen, the Bible says that God is love, so when he's talking about love, he's actually talking about the church. He says the love of the church will grow cold. Not the world. They don't know what love is. The the love of the church will will grow cold. The greatest danger to our church is what I would call apathy. I don't don't care. Because I don't care, I don't give any energy. And and, and number three, I think we, we have a lack of what I would call understanding. We worked our way backwards, down. Because I want to explain to you, it's our lack of understanding that develops our care. It's our care that involves our energy. We, we give the stuff we care about, so it's really hard to tell God, I'm all in, but I don't give, I don't serve, I don't come to church every week. But God, I'm in. Like, you, you give to what you care about. You tell your wife you care about her, but you never talk to her, never invest any time into her, you don't care about it. That's the way that it goes. You give to what you, you care about. You care about things that you fully embrace and understand. Here's the thing, though, because oftentimes urgency, which is this deep-rooted care that I'm talking to you about, is built on a, on a foundation of understanding. That's what happens. Ignorance 
often leads us to be la- a lack of urgen- urgency. A few years ago, my kids were at our Limerick campus. This is when we just had uh, one full-time campus in the building, and so we had a little office in the back with five or six people working in this little room. And at that point, our church didn't have much, much money, and so uh, my wife worked for free. She was, she was the cheapest person I could find. It was free. And so uh, she would come in a few days a week, and she would help pay bills and, and deposits and make sure our, our, ch- our little church that had barely any money was running the way it was supposed to run. And she, you know, her, her position looked a lot different than it does today, but she worked for, for pretty much nothing at that point, cleaned the church, stuff like that. So because of that, uh, we, we had to bring our boys with us twice a week. And our, our boys are now 9 and 11, and, and Harrison wasn't around then. And so uh, they were probably two, 2 and 4 years old at this point. What we would do is we would bring them to the office, and we would Limerick has a top and a bottom floor. It's an old church. And we would say, go down to the nursery, one of the padded rooms, and stay there, and we'll get you at 5, 8, eight to 5. We'll get you for, for lunch. We'll eat lunch together. You go back down, you play. We don't know what you're going to do, but just have fun. Don't scream, right? So they would go down the stairs. They loved these days. They would go down, they would play, they would, they would do all sorts of stuff. We don't even know sometimes what they were doing. And every once in a while, they would come up to tell on each other. And they did it so much that I'd be like, just go down. If, if you come up one more time, this is going to be your last day on earth. Like, you're not, don't come up, we're trying to, like, this was our kind, don't come up, we're trying to work. So there was times they would get so fearful of coming up because they knew my reaction, because oftentimes it was just overreaction. You know, he's looking at me. He, he, he poked me, right? He took the toy from me, whatever. And so one day Carter came up. I remember he came running up and he was like, quick, run. And I was like, what? And so I, I followed him down the steps, but I got to be honest, I wasn't running. I was kind of just walking thinking, oh, here we go again. He took the Tonka truck. What'd you break? You're like something like that. And the, 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 as I get down the steps, Limerick kind of has steps that kind of go like this and this, and then there's a door. I get down to the first flight of steps, and I turn, and I'm coming down. And as I come down, even though the door's closed, I start to, to hear blood-curdling screams. Now, even at that point, it doesn't bother me that much. And here's why. Because there was many times in my household growing up and with my kids that they have screamed, and I have just thought, man, I'm just going to let the survival of the fittest figure this out. Like, well, whoever's stronger is going to figure it out. But this was a different scream. It was like a painful scream. Carter was with me. I'm like, I don't know. So immediately I hear the scream. I start running down the next level. I swing open the door. I run to the nursery, which is a couple feet down the hallway. And I look in, and my little two-year-old's fingers are stuck and somehow stuck in a door that's been, like, uh, closed, but he can't, and he can't get them out, like the crack. And he's going, ah! If you know my son Lincoln, he has a loud pitch, scream and he's pulling it out so I get down and I kind of open the door and I pull his fingers out real fast and they're all fine he has all 10 fingers still uh, and he's he's nine now so he's fine but in that moment it was my ignorance that caused me to not have any urgency at all but as soon as I knew that he was in pain something changed in me and I think oftentimes the reason church is at the core it's not that we don't care I, I don't want to be insensitive it's not that we don't care, and it's not that we maybe don't want to give it energy. I think for a lot of us, we just fully don't, we don't understand. I think the two guys that walked over this guy were like, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Like, that was pretty common at that time, by the way. In fact, it was so common that one, one commentary I read said that, that thieves used to play like one of them was beaten up, and then when you would go down to help them, the other, the other bandits would jump out and get him. So at their time, it's very common. It's like, oh, this is common. Like, I see this every day when I'm walking down. It's not a big deal. I don't care if he dies. I don't know him. I don't have any connection. And I'm tired. I've been walking all day long. And I think we're like that with, with the world where we just don't, we don't fully understand. And what I would say is ignorance, it leads to a lack of urgency. And, and here's why. I think we've lost what I would call gospel urgency. 
And I think the reason that oftentimes churches lose that gospel urgency is because many church people, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, I don't think you fully believe that Christ is the only way to salvation. I don't think we do. Like, I think if we thought that Jesus was the only way, that apart from Christ, that everyone is destined for suffering in hell, that I think that if we fully embrace that, that we will live a different life. Somebody say, I don't fully embrace that. Then listen, then you shouldn't be a part of church. Because this isn't a club, and if Jesus wasn't the way, the truth, and the life, then he was a lunatic, and we should not be here worshiping him. He was either 100% right or 100% wrong. He was not a great moral teacher. When you tell people to drink your blood and eat your body, that's weird if you're not Jesus. He's either fully God or he's fully man. He either died on a cross and rose from the dead and they can't find his body or none of that happened. And if all those things happen, then what he's trying to tell us is this is the way that mankind gets right with God and spends eternity with him in heaven. And I think for many of us that we struggle with that, and the reason I know you struggle with that is that's why you never invite anybody to church. That's why opportunity flows through your hands week in and week out. And you don't do it, and it's not because you don't care, and it's not because you don't want to give energy. I think it's because you don't understand it. So what I want to do is I want to end and make sure you understand what the Bible teaches. Can I do that? So I think, I think a lot of times the church doesn't know the gospel. Like if you ask people what the gospel is, they don't know, but they do know that they're supposed to have a statue of Mary in their yard which is not in the Bible. And they they do believe in some place called purgatory, which is not in the Bible. And they do know the saints, and they did go to school to learn certain things that are not in the Bible. But what's the gospel? I don't don't know what the gospel is. And so I want to explain the gospel. We're not in the business of explaining religion. Religion is dead. I'd rather hang out with a bunch of heathens in a bar than hang out with a bunch of religious people in a church. Any day of the week. I'd rather hang out with a bunch of people that are broken and know they're broken than hang out with a bunch of broken people that think they're okay. So I want to explain to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so some of you maybe will understand for the very first time. Some of you maybe your eyes will be open and you'll receive it. Some of you will reevaluate what you believe and understand the significance of it and it'll change everything about you. But I just want you to understand what the gospel says because Paul says, I handed this to you as the most important thing I'm going to teach you. That Jesus died on the cross for sinners. The worst, that, I was the worst, he says. And he rose from the dead, and it's in him and by him that I have new life, he says in Corinthians. I just want you to understand the gospel really quickly. The Bible teaches us this message first, that everybody is a sinner. Everybody. The Bible says in Psalms 14, 3, watch this. It says, they all of all, that's all of you. That's the church people, that's the unchurched people. They all have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. Everyone has sinned. Here's what's so cool about the gospel message, is I can preach it in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, to a group of people in Royersford and Plymouth Meeting, and in Limerick, and in Montgomeryville, and it can reach hearts. I could get on a plane and I could travel to Russia, and I can have an interpreter speak Russian, and I can talk about sin, and it can reach hearts. I can then get on a, a plane, and I can travel to the, the thickest bush in, in, in Africa, where they don't have running water or anything like that, and I can sit under a tree with a bunch of people in the midst of the desert, and I can talk about sin in their language, and it applies to them. I can speak to an elderly home. I can speak to a, a a school full of, of young people, when you talk about sin, those of us who are real with ourselves, we know it. 
In fact, you can talk, and as you talk about sin, the, the power of sin, the wages of sin, in every part of the world, when you speak like that in a truth, you can look and see tears fill people's eyes. Because ultimately, we know. We know what we deserve. If you're real with yourself, you know who you are, you know where you've been, you know what you've done, and you know if there is a God and he is good and he is perfect that you don't deserve to be loved by him. Which is why we attempt to become religious in the first place. There's no way he could be cool with me. And so I'm going to perform and I'm going to do stuff for him for the rest of my life and hopefully when I get to heaven someday I've done I've done enough. And so what the Bible tells us is everything in the world that's broken is because of sin. Everything. The gospel message is for everyone, anywhere, at any time. That it will continue to be the main message of this world. That everyone has sinned. And here's where it gets even worse. That the Bible teaches that everyone has sinned. And that sin separates us from God. That sin causes distance between us and, and God. That, that, that all of us are, are separated. And sometimes I think when we talk about this in church that we don't like it. And we're like, no, that's, that seems mean. And when the Bible says for the wages of sin is, is death. Like I think when we read that, we're like, that seems so harsh by God. And here's what I would tell you. That just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's not true. If I go into my medicine cabinet at home. Because church dudes are like, man, that's so harsh and seems so judgmental and so, so mean. And so we're not going to call it sin. We're going to call it, you know, mess ups. And we're not going to call it hell. We're just going to call it a bad place. And we're not going to speak the way the Bible calls us to speak with urgency. We're going to be more chilled and relaxed with it. And I think to myself, could you imagine if you did that with your kids? You have some kind of medicine that can kill you in your cabinet. But your kids are kind of spoiled brats, and they don't want to hear the truth. And so instead of that, you put like a, like, a, like a colorful label on the front of it that says chocolate milk. And you say, they don't, they don't like that. This says poison on it, and so I changed it to chocolate milk because that, that, that label was kind of scary. And then I let them drink it because they thought it was chocolate milk. And it ultimately killed them, but it's not a big deal because the label didn't say it was poison. Just because something is, is, is bad, just because it's tough, just because it's difficult, doesn't mean it's still not dangerous. So the Bible teaches us that everyone sins, and sin separates us from God. And here's the, here's the sad part. It separates us now, and it separates us forever. Watch the word Scripture uses in Revelation 14. It says, in the smoke of their, their torment, these are people who are separated from God by their sin, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And here, here's what often happens in these, these kind of conversations. Really smart people will say stuff like this, like, well, how can a good God send people to hell? And I'll say, easy, because he's a perfect God, and we've rebelled against him. We run from him, and he could have washed his hands from us. And so the truth is, the, the question is not how can a good God send somebody to hell. The question is, how can a good God receive us in heaven? How can he make a way to forgive us and overlook those offenses and say it's okay? Because if somebody did that, which we did to him, to us, we would not be cool with it, which is why so many of you are bitter and angry in the first place. They abandoned me. They talked bad about me. They left me. They, 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 they gossiped about me. They hurt me. You don't know my pain. And God's saying, I do understand it. Because I formed you in your mother's womb, and you have walked away from me every moment of your life. And I have tapped you on your shoulder, and you have told me no. And I have tugged at your heart, and you have refused me. And you have sought other things to worship instead of me, your creator. And I am still here in the midst of it. See, sin separates us from God, but here, here's the good news, because the gospel stands for good news, not bad news. So if it stops there, it's like, whoa, this sucks. 
But here's why we're here if you're a part of the church. And here's why we're so urgent with the message. If everyone sins and sin separates us from God, both now and later, the truth is the greatest tragedy we're facing is somebody living and dying without Jesus. And some of you say, you know, I know, but telling people about Jesus is, is difficult and it, it's costly and it's embarrassing sometimes. And here's what I would tell you. You know what's more costly? Watching your family members spend eternity in hell. I'd rather have somebody make fun of me on this side of eternity than when I get to the next side of eternity to have to maybe have an encounter. I don't know what that looks like and have them wonder, why didn't you tell me? You were my neighbor for 10 years. You worked in the cubicle beside me, man. We worked together every day. We laughed together. We told jokes together. We, we caught up on shows. Why didn't you ever open up your mouth when we were talking about the eagles and say, let me tell you something really important. And here's the good news. The good news is, it is only through Jesus. It's so simple. It's only through Jesus that our sin is paid for and we are reconciled with God. Can I tell you something? You can't fix your sin problem. You can't manage your sin problem. You've tried. You can only be forgiven and set free by Jesus. Oftentimes at the end of our service, we'll encourage people to do this. And I'll say, the Bible says if you would confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you would be saved. And sometimes I think when we repeat those phrases over and over again, we wonder, are they actually in the Bible? So watch what it says as I read you one more verse in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, watch how simple it says. It says you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, I love this, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Here's what that's saying, by the way. The Jewish people were like the church people back then. They were the chosen people. They, the people come like that to church. And what, what Paul is saying is there's no difference between the church people and the people in the gutter right now. There's no difference between the theologian and the person who's shooting himself up with heroin. There's no difference between the one who's been married for years and faithful to his wife and the one who can't stop cheating and can't stop looking at pornography. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, in that moment they shall be saved. And that is the good news. And here's the thing. That is what we live our life with. That's the urgency we build on. That's the understanding that we have. When we understand, we begin to care. And church, when we begin to care, we will give our blood, sweat, and tears to change this world. So would you bow your heads and would you, would you close your eyes with me? As we evaluate, are we in the way of God? Are we in the way of God today? Are we in the way of his work? Are we in the way of him reaching people? Are we given the energy we should be given? But the reason we give that energy is because we care. And the reason we care is because we understand. And here's the thing about it. As you evaluate your, your life, I want to talk to you if you're in here today about this church. If you're not a church person, and you don't typically show up here on Sundays and you're kind of here today because maybe stuff's gone wrong or maybe you were invited and maybe you just tried church out. Or maybe you're coming back after years. I'm not sure why. Can you just hear, hear this man's voice? I'm not, I'm not better than you. I tell my church often, I barely passed Bible college. They won't even let me go back and get my master's. I'm here because Jesus saved me. I'm here because that message wrecked me. I'm here because I have tried to develop a deep understanding of what is on the line. And because of that, we started this church, and we started saying years ago 
that we're going to be a church that exists for those not yet here. That means we are going to be consumed with people that are still far from Jesus Christ. We're going to do everything we can. Every staff meeting we have on Monday, we're going to pray and beg God to continue to work through our church and in our church. That we're not going to make plans to fill up a church with a crowd, but we are going to make plans to build a church that changes cities. Since the beginning, we've said we exist for those not yet here, and here's why. Because God has developed a deep understanding of what's on the line. And because of that, we care. We care for you today. We are ecstatic that you're here, not because you're ours or because we know you or we understand you or we've been with you, but we care for you because we know how God feels about you. We know how many times that God has reached out to you and how much he's longed to be in relationship with you. And because we care, my prayer and our, our effort was we're going to give everything we can today financially, physically, with our voices and our talents to hopefully point people in a direction to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, or if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that in that moment you will be saved. Your greatest problem today, friend, is not your girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with you. It's not a parent who neglected you or let you down. It's not an issue that you're dealing with. It's not an addiction that you have. It's not a heartbreak that you went through. Your greatest problem is sin. You are a sinner. Somebody say, no, 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 I'm not a sinner. I'm a victim of sin. That might be. But the Bible says that you are more than a victim. The Bible says you were not created and put on this earth to live as a result of what has been done and said to you. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror. But the, then it adds this. In Christ Jesus our Lord, that means this isn't some type of hype-up moment. This isn't type, some type of self-reflection. This isn't some type of propaganda. That we believe that the name of Jesus is powerful. That he saves. That he transforms. That he restores. That he gives hope to the broken. That he gives love to the hurting. That he gives peace to those that are filled with anxiety. And that Jesus is here right now. And I know that because scripture promises that when we lift up his name and praise, that's why we start the service like that. When we lift up his name and praise, when the people of God show up, that we're two or more gathered in his name, that's why we're here, that he arrives. And when he arrives, he does what only he could do. And so he is here right now, friend. And here's what I would ask you all over our houses. Understanding the gospel. Understanding what it means to be saved. That you're a sinner that your sin deserves death and hell, but it's through Jesus Christ that you can have new life and forgiveness of your sins. If I were to say to you, are you forgiven today? Have you confessed him as your Lord and your Savior? And you would say, that's, that's not me. I haven't done that, but I'm ready to do that. And this is your moment. I want to give you an opportunity. So what we're going to do is I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. My church people that are here that keep come here week in and week out, Journey Church people, they got their own issues and problems. They're, they're praying right now. They're dealing with their own situations. They're going through their own obstacles. Uh, they're focusing their own thoughts. And so don't worry about the person to your right or left because this is truly a moment between you and God. But if I would say, hey, are you, are you forgiven? Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to meet your creator because of what Jesus did for you on that cross? you have a purpose on this earth you have a reason to wake up 
do you know you're not an accident? You know, the Bible said that God molded you in your mother's womb, that he knows the hairs on your head and the beats in your chest, and that he has good to do in and through your life. Do you have a purpose? Do you know what love feels like? Not the kind of love that you earn, but the kind of love that will never leave you nor forsake you. And if I ask all those questions, your answer is no. And then my next question will be, are you ready? And some of you might think to be ready, you got to clean yourself up. But here's the thing. Ready just means here I am. Here I am in my mess. Here I am with my baggage. Here I am with my mistakes. Here I am with my shame. You don't have to be good enough to get to God. Jesus was good enough to get to you. And he's here right now. And all you need to do in this moment, it's not a long religious prayer. This is not a religious place at all. It's simply a moment in eternity where you said, you know what? Today is my day. And so what we do at this church is we don't ask you to come forward and we don't ask you to stand up. But I want to know at all of our campuses, there's somebody standing there that's going to let me know. So if you're physically in Phoenixville, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're in Royersford and Plymouth Meeting and Limerick, I'm going to ask you to do this as well. And they're going to let me know. And we are going to pray with you as we close today. But if you would say, I am not in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I have never confessed him with my mouth and believed him with my heart. And I know I'm not having it because I'm not following him today. He's not in control of my life and leading me. And I'm tired of trying to do life on my own and being my own boss. And today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're in Phoenixville and that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air and say, hey, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. If you're in Plymouth Meeting in Limerick and Royersford, somebody's going to let me know. But your, your step is simply, hey, that's me right now. I'm going to shoot my hand up in the air. And I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I realize I'm a sinner. I believe the wages of my sin is death and hell. But I also believe... That the way back to God is through Jesus Christ, and I want to receive him today as my Lord and my Savior. Is there anybody in Phoenixville that said, you know what, I missed that first opportunity, uh, but that's who I am right now. That's where I'm at. That's the decision that I need to make. I, I don't want you to worry about the people on your right or left. I know sometimes this can be an intimidating moment as you're wondering if people are watching you, but if they're watching you, it probably needs, means they need to make that decision themselves. And so if that's you all over this house, and you say, hey, pastor, that's me. I want to begin to pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for those that are responding to your gospel. Thank you uh, that your word never returns void. Thank you, Lord, that, that there's those seated in every one of these rooms that's making a decision. They've realized that they're a sinner. They realize that they, they need a savior. And they believe that it's through your death, burial, and resurrection that they have forgiveness of sins and they can live life and life to the full. What that means is a life filled with purpose and a promise of eternity. And so, Lord, we are grateful and honored for all that you've done. We are grateful for your powerful presence. We're grateful that you continue to break addictions and change marriages and heal people from the inside out. And, Lord, as we leave this place, we leave this place whole. We leave this place on mission. We leave this place with a sense of urgency because we understand what's on the line. And, Lord, because we understand, we care. And, Lord, when we care about something, Lord, we will give everything to it. And so we are a church that stops at nothing to be what you've called us to be, to reach who you've called us to reach, and to go where you've called us to go. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Let's clap for that person in Royersford right now who's made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you've done, Jesus. In your name we pray. Would you shout amen one more time? Come on, let's clap together one more time. One more time.